Despite sitting in the warm afterglow of a home victory against Falkirk, this is not the usual football podcast. Our regular panellist, Alan Porteous, has written two kids' books recently, The Team from Windmill Lane and Beaufort's Thunderdogs Forever. Both books are available on Amazon and I think they're excellent. Be here to tell you all about their creation and with an extract from the book himself as Alan Porteous. Hope you enjoy the interview. Right now, it's for an interview with a bit of a difference. So, I usually speak to tonight's guest on a football podcast, which we both do. But tonight, we're going to, as they like to say, uh, you're now for something completely different. I've now forgotten the Monty Python. That's what I was desperately scratching for. So, uh, welcome to this interview, uh, Alan Porteous. Alan, do you want to introduce yourself for those who, who don't listen to? Our excellent football podcast and might not know you. Oh, okay. Um, so, yes, I'm Alan Portis, and and for for a number of years now, I've been involved in the the haranguing of Airdrie Football Club on the podcast uh, vocally. Um, in previous guises, I've I've written articles for the old written only the lonely, um, particularly articles about strange visits to away grounds and things like that with a slightly humorous tilt. Um, of late, I've been kind of focusing my attentions on on kind of creating a part-time hobby slash career as a, as a writer. Um, and uh, it's kind of come to a head of late um, as I've just recently released a couple of uh, kids books, the team from Windmill Lane and uh, Beaufort's Thunderdogs Forever. And I'm, so, it, for those who are watching the video of this, I'm holding those up to the screen. So I've bought both. One's a bit dog-eared because I have read it. I've still to read the second book in the, the series. So tell us about, I don't want to do a book review or give away plots or whatever. Tell us a bit about the books. Aye, okay. So in, in very, very brief terms, uh, we've got the, the team from Windmill Lane. It's about a, a wee boy who starts his own football team. Um, it's it's probably, they're, they're probably written for ages nine to about 14 age group, I think. Um my main character, Finn, Finn Silver, he's, as I said, he wants to start his own football team. He builds his own football ground out of a farmer's field. Um, and very quickly, he finds himself involved in a, a dastardly plot uh, to, to destroy football as a sport as we know it. Um, both of the books, one, the second book follows on, it's a sequel. Uh, and uh, it cover, each one covers a season in uh, and the, the life of, of the Beaufort's Thunderdogs, the, the imaginatively entitled uh, football team. Along the way, Finn's helped by this mysterious old guy called uh, the Bookkeeper. And throughout, throughout this, the Bookkeeper sort of claims there's no such thing as magic, yet seems to have a magic type of football that, that propels them both through space and time and they, they have adventures in foreign countries and go back and witness interesting moments in football history really. So that that's the kind of without giving anything away, that's the kind of plot. And it's all about could could Finn Silver and his team actually save football from disappearing off the face of the planet. Um if I was doing an elevator pitch I'd say you know I've I've been a football fan myself since I was seven years old. I've played football for the BBs and, you know, shivered on ice-laden football pitches. And uh, I, I mean, all this time later, I'm still screaming at referees like a dafty. 
So, I mean, I kind of should know my stuff by now or it should feel a little bit football-y, at least there's a little bit of legitimacy to it and it's it's all about supporting the underdog switch as an every fan. You know, I definitely am quite used to doing. So, I, mean, I think the only other thing to say is, I mean, I, I wrote these books because I really thought there aren't that many decent books about football for kids. I think, you know, parents are always looking for accessible types of literature for, for their kids to buy into and, and read. And, and and I thought, you know, it would be nice to write something that's fun and, and entertaining and and quite traditional. You know, there's no, there isn't any heavy uh, social issues here or, you know, n- nobody's suffering from drug and alcohol problems as a youngster or, or, or what have you. It's all about good versus evil and, and uh and and just kind of gung ho adventuring, really getting chased by you know hooded villains and 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 what have you. Um, I kind of felt when I was starting this up, looking in retrospect, my heroes when I was growing up, my hero when I was a wee boy was Roy the Rovers, and there just didn't really seem to have been a a, a, a big character like that uh, since the, the sort of seventies and eighties. So I'm not I'm not saying that this you know will be it, but Finn Silver could be that hero. Fingers crossed. And what inspired you to write, Alan? So I've read a few years ago. You wrote another book combining your your loves of writing and and, and football uh, called Glory Hunting, which was kind of a a, a tale of a season and uh, some football supporters their visits to grounds around Scotland. Uh, so I, I can see your reflects. Um, kind of one of your hobbies but that's that's football I know you like football what inspired you to write I don't know I think I've always been creative which was a bit of a juxtaposition in comparison to the work that I did initially and I was an accountant and I, I did my degree in accountancy and it was all about star chain and numbers generated and whatever but I've always liked one of my early uh, uh, my early hobbies was cartooning and I like painting and the next thing I'm always quite guilty of jumping from one thing to the other and the next thing I can remember almost getting up one morning and thinking I wonder if I could write a book um, just even to and, and, and that's where glory hunting came along I just I, I kind of thought you know could, could I actually write something that had a beginning a middle and an end now I think glory hunting anybody that's read it will say there was a very short beginning a huge middle and a short end because it was it ended up being a very very big book about just literally everything I ever knew about football splurged onto the pages of a book. But it kind of proved a point, you know, that, that I enjoyed it and it was a bit of an escapism for me. Um, so that kind of paved the way for uh, for, for, the, for these books, I think. And as I say, I did some of the articles for Only the Lonely and I really enjoyed that side of things as well. And there's a, there's a huge amount of escapism, I think, you know, for a hobby like this. You know, it really takes you out yourself in many ways, you can, you've got control. You can write a story that you want, that you that that you think. And I, and I, okay, it was a bit different in this one. I was trying to write something that I thought I would like to read when I was ten years old. Um, my wife would probably argue that I probably got the reading age of a ten year old enemy, so it kind of fitted in with my mental capacity. But but yeah, so it was. I think it was that that kind of escapism and 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 continuing on with rebelling against the boring accountancy stuff. And J.K. Rowling famously sat in the Elephant House and other cafes in Edinburgh and wrote her books there. How does Alan Porteous go about writing a book? What was the process? When do you do it? 
Oh, um, pretty much anywhere. I'm, I'm, I, I move around. I, I did. I actually, folk were saying, somebody was asking me, did you sit down and legit and and write it on a laptop in the one place and whatever? And, and I actually wrote it my. I wrote them on my iPad and just sort of moved around and had a had an hour flute on, on on the bed. And then I was I was I was in the living room and uh, even out in, in nice weather. I think if I remember back. To, to when I was writing the first one, it was a beautiful summer, and it was it was quite nice to to just go out and sit and turn the high vault, the high uh, intensity of the light on my uh, my, my iPad up and uh, give myself ice cream and, and do it out in the sunshine. So got quite a nice time at that point as well. So yeah, it was, uh, I, I think it, it helped as well. I, I did take a bit of time out of my of my my job. I got, they offered voluntary redundancy in, in my work. As a business advisor, and I saw it as a good opportunity to, you know, to take a bit of time out and see if I could do something like this semi-seriously. Um, and obviously, I'm back as a business advisor, so you know, the day job could only be avoided for a, a small amount of time. But it was quite nice to just adopt a bit of time to doing something seriously that that had just been a hobby. Um, and hopefully, well, fingers crossed, I maybe you know, reap the rewards of it in the future. And did it flow easily? Did you get writer's block at points, or was it? A- no, it didn't. I mean, sometimes it was brilliant, and I, it, it was quite frustrate, frustrating that I could almost do half an hour of work one one morning that would be a hundred times better and a hundred times more productive than two days elsewhere. Um, but you know, again, it's maybe maybe that's the challenge. Maybe you've just got to keep, you know, picking away at something. And I kind of just felt that. If I came out at the end of the day that I'd, I'd, I'd done something and moved it forward, then then that was that was at least good for me. And what about the illustration? So you mentioned your cartoon. I assume that you've done all the illustrations in the book. Yes, yes, I drew I drew all the, the, the cartoons, illustrations, and there's a few illustrations inside it as well. I did a, a, my favourite one. I, I, I thought I would draw the the, the team, and so there's a team picture in one of the pages somewhere that's uh, that I've got in a big A five bit of paper. Uh, and and uh, I might well paint that up or do something with it and frame it. Um, so so I get, but I mean to be honest, it was I, I did look at a lot of the, the the covers of you know books that were established and thought, oh my god, I'll never be able to do that, or I'm not good enough at Photoshop to do that, or I'll have to pay somebody thousands and thousands of pounds to do it. But my saving grace was I could draw cartoons, and it kind I'm hoping it kind of fitted in with the. The vibe of, of the book so and it, it kind of does it's 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 not too bad i quite like it actually it's quite it kind of jumps off it jumps off the uh, the, the, sh- the the bookshelf hopefully what did you draw in what's your you mentioned a big bit of a5 there but what's what's the medium that you draw with um what I was doing i drew i drew them freehand to start with and then i scanned and then i i, I think i photo, uh, photographed them into uh, an ipad app uh, and uh, and I drew over them and then shaded them all in whatever from there, and then I used I used Canva to uh, to project it onto the uh, to the Amazon process. So it was it took a wee bit of time getting all that sort of side together because I hadn't done that sort of stuff before, and it's it was a bit trial and error, and it wouldn't work, and then it wouldn't fit, and I had to make them the images bigger and smaller and all sorts of things. But it's it's worked out okay in the end, and I could. Hopefully, I could probably do it again. Um, if I don't do anything else, I could maybe have run a business helping people put books on the Amazon. <laughs> uh, 
why children's fiction this time around? So the, the glory hunting was was a book for for grown ups. You've got a collection of short stories out there. What was the inspiration to for this one? Well, maybe I'm just not very good at big words. No. <laughs> no, uh, no I, I think I just wanted to stretch my imagination a wee bit. I like when I drew, when I wrote glory hunting. The bits I liked doing were the bits that were there was no fact to it at all. It was all just. Uh, nonsense and and sort of stretching reality a little bit, and you can only do that so much, I think, with a, with an adult book. So, you know, I, the whole idea of these characters time traveling and traversing the world and a wee bit of smattering of magic, but within what I still know about with the football side of things, that that, that obviously lent itself to, to to a children's book more. I've already mentioned it. I think that creating that accessible type of book. For, for kids as well, there's, there's not huge, huge numbers of, uh, of of kids' books that are, you know, real sizable series, novels as such. So, you know, I think that was, that, that was kind of key. There was a point that I was going to do something completely different, but, and it was funny that my, my wife uh, was in her work and she was, she'd been asked by a couple of people when, when she'd said that Alan was thinking about writing another book, and they said, oh, you know, is it, is it going to be about football again? Because my son and my wee daughter's really into football at the moment and they've been reading everything that they like three or four times over. So we should do one about football. And I did a bit of research into it and kind of lo and behold, there wasn't a huge number of things appearing on Waterston shelves or whatever. So um, so I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'll marry this up and see if I can get that level of imagination into the football scenario. And hopefully I have. Uh, and you mentioned that you tried to write a book that you thought you would like to read when you were that age. But I mean, just flip that question slightly. What what were your early influences as a as a reader? I mean, can you remember the authors that you did like when you were of that age? Oh yes, I was I was big into Tolstoy, you know, and, and Ivan, I stuff like that. No, uh, no, I think I probably it was Enid Blyton for me. <laughs> I think my first books I can remember were the Famous Five and the Secret Seven and the Hardy Boys and stuff like that. So there was a lot of mystery types of things that, that, that I read religiously and remember reading time and time and time again. And then, then there was the comics, you know, Roy the Rovers. And then I got a bit old, slightly older and moved away from the from, from the pictures onto Shoot and Match. I don't know if you'll remember me, but yeah. I think Shoot still about now. I'm not sure Match is. Um, but... Uh, I that that those were the kind of those were the kind of main things at, at an early age. I, I think that's definitely. I, I can see your influences come through. Definitely, Roy the Rovers, um, but also I, mean, I think there's a there's a kind of innocence within the books. Like you said, there's not kind of hard hitting modern issues that people might want to foist on youngsters. Um, but the the camaraderie and everything of a youth football team comes through. I mean. I, I got the impression that you're probably quite positive about youth and you, and you think that young people get a hard time, but, uh, which I'm judging from the book, because I think you, you paint kids in a really good light. The ability to get the football team up and running, get the pitch sorted, all without any input of, of adults. Is that... Aye, aye, aye. And, there, was, and there, there were issues, you know, with the, the, that Finn had to deal with, you know, with getting, getting these players to play as a team. And there was probably... I'm saying subtle lessons for the future, but they're probably like being hit over the face with a fish. Really, 
you know, that, that you, you know, that, that life's difficult and, and, and people are difficult to manage and you've got to get the best out of them by, you know, either being enthusiastic, being nice, being motivational, all, you know, maybe, maybe in the future, this, this will be used as a, a management tool for future airdrie managers and how to get the best out of their team. I don't know. Um, but that was, that's the sort of young side of things. I think as an older person, I, 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 I quite, when you asked me about this before, I think Nick Hornby sprung to mind. I, mean, I don't know whether that's because of the fever pitch angle or not, but I, I quite like high fidelity as well, you know, with, and there was, I think Nick Hornby was probably the first person I read that was writing about football in a funny sense, you know, and, and there was, there was humour in the obsession in, in, in many ways. That, that we probably all have and our wives and better halves probably or or, or husbands or whatever, you know, ultimately uh, laugh at behind their back and go, what, what's he doing thinking about that, you know? Um, I quite liked Stephen King, you know, in my sort of teenage years as well, probably despite the fact it was horror, I always felt he was quite a good, easy writer. Um I, I think, strangely, not necessarily for the for the, for the subject matter of the books or anything, but I can remember reading Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code, and it, and it was just a book that I read in two days. Now you'll notice that I always stick in my books, and there's always a little section one, two, three, four, five within the chapters, and they always are they're almost self-standing, and because I can remember Dan Brown was the first person I read that did that, and you were always getting it was late at night, and you would think. I'd look, what, what's the next page? Oh, there's just another wee chapter to do. And you would keep going. It would propel you through the book quite easily. So again, thinking about making it easy for kids to read and whatever, you know, you're you not going to think how much have I got to go and you've got to flip over six or seven pages and think, oh, that's another half hour. Or so I'll just put it down. You've always got another wee chunk to do and you think I'll just do another five minutes. So that was probably quite important. And uh, I like Lord of the Rings as well, not necessarily for the plot, but I liked J.R.R. Tolkien's world building, and I think that's I think for people to believe your story, you've got to you've got to create a, you know a believable world, even if it's even if it's fantasy and it's a bit nonsensical at times. There's a wee bit of it you think, well, you know, that could that could potentially could potentially happen. So aye, that would be my I think those would be my main influences, not necessarily the highest quality of influences, but you know, the, probably the main ones. And to talk about influences in other ways, what did you draw in for this story? So you've mentioned, I mean, you brought up similarly to me, schoolboy football, boys brigade football. Yeah, I was, I was usually sub. Uh, experiences <laughs> or as a youth footballer that kind of drove some of this or was it all from your imagination? I think uh, playing for the BBs and playing for... Played for Rusulloch in the school's cup at Broomfield, which is probably my proudest moment in history. You know, so I think if I remember right, I even scored the Sclaffy goal there. So I think I touched on it earlier on. You know, I can remember standing, waiting to kick off at nine o'clock on the red ash at Winhall, and you're 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 kicking in a, a frozen puddle with your with your boot and you're. And back in those days as well, you weren't even allowed to wear a T-shirt underneath your top. It was absolutely Baltic. So I can remember all that sort of stuff. I remember getting hit in the leg with a mitre mold master and having that big bruise on your leg until the following Thursday. Um, I remember that smell of liniment in the, the dressing rooms at Craig Nuke. If anybody remembers the old dressing rooms in there, 
it was always stinking of that. Even when nobody had been in before you, it was always stinking of that sort of stuff. So I can I, I kind of wrote about those things when I could. Um, I that would probably be the the, the, the main things. Uh, mad parents on the sidelines, you know, they're always were those, you know, the, the kids' parents that just went a step too far and they thought they were at a normal game and they're lambasting the referee and and there would be managers at the side of the at the park as well that thought they were Jose Mourinho, you know, managing the uh, the Adrian Coatbridge BB League with a big long padded jackets on and pacing up and down and you know cutting cutting edge. You know. Bobby feed the channels, you know all that sort of stuff going on. Um, so I, I there was there was loads and loads of stuff to, to to get as far as the football side of things was concerned. Um, the time traveling and whatever, I, I probably haven't done as much of that. Um, I think I've probably done some, but not <laughs> usually usually on a Saturday night after a few wines. Fashion yeah, um, sense is a step back in time, Alan. But <laughs> <laughs> could maybe play some music in the background. It's mostly imagination. It had to come out of imagination, effectively. And and again, you know, hopefully, hopefully it all hangs together. And um, but and and this about the imagination. You know, we've, we've had the Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and whatever. So rather than having imagination and how you deal with wizards and orcs and and Dungeons and Dragons types of things, I, I was felt I was fitting everything around football related things. Um, and, and always hold it back to that, and, and hopefully it doesn't seem terribly stupid as it as it as it sits, because it's very football. It's funny. I thought it came through in the, the book that the mature ones are the the kids that are playing football. The, the sidelines got like the wag mum and the aggressive coaches and the the bus driver and the farmer who are all a bit zany. Whereas the kids are actually got their, their heads screwed on a lot of the time. So yeah, they they, they are they are the normal ones. In fact, with it either. I'm pretty sure there's some crowd trouble at one point with rival factions of fans all throwing things at each other, whatever, with the with the, the kids looking on, totally bemused at how there's crowd trouble at an under-15 football match in a farmer's field. So you've written the book, you've done the illustrations, that's one part of it. Uh, you then have to get a book that you can sell. So what, what was that process like? And it's been published via Amazon. How difficult was that? Yeah, it was. It was. I think the writing, in fairness, was probably the easy bit. Uh, the, it's it's a far, far harder thing to edit and and edit your own stuff because I think you don't really. And, and and I got other people to do it, but it would still come back with lots of spelling mistakes that you would see later on in the in, in the day. The formatting and whatever, and just you you know just upskilling your IT skills a little bit and buying into Amazon's way of doing things. Um, wasn't that easy. And now I've kind of plundered my way through it. And now that I've done it, I think I could do it again. I think what was all the bother about? Much like, I suppose, many things that you learn in life. Um, but I think it's just, it's it's wonderful in this day and age that there are now, you know, there is the ability to do something like that yourself and not have to rely on sort of traditional publishers, um, which, you know, are, are not the easiest nuts to crack. In, in many ways. However, having gone through that process, and, and in the next month or so, I'll be going down the line and speaking to Watsons and W. H. Smiths and whatever. And there's no reason why these books cannot, and even in their current format, you know, uh, be on the shelves for that. You know, in many ways, I'm now looking at it, thinking I've almost done as I've done as much as ninety percent of the existing publishers out there could do. You know, so. 
Um, as I say, the, the, the technology now allows for that, and there should be you know, anybody that's thinking about writing their own book and and committing it to page paper and actually having that paper back to having your 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 books your bookshelf in in house and wander past and look at proudly, you know, every every couple of days or so. There's no reason for it not to happen. You know, it, it can be a bit of a, a fight at the start, but it's 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 eminently doable. Um, I, I don't like, I'm now at the point that I've got to sell it and I don't really like selling things. I don't really like selling myself and I'm going to be the centre of attention and I know I'm not the centre of a huge world of attention, um, but it's quite a step, I think, to present the world something that you've done and it's got your name on it and be ready to take the criticism of it because that's what you have to be. This is, this is not a hobby for me anymore. This is something that I want to be you know, to be successful and to be criticised on its merits or or otherwise. Um, so that, that 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 side of it's quite important. Anything else that was difficult for me? I, again, I'm not I'm not a big social media fiend. You know, I haven't been for a long time, as you'll know. Uh, and 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 uh, that is part and parcel now of you know of of, of getting the word out there that, that, that there's a book there to be to be bought. So I've kind of had to drag myself kicking and screaming back into social media that I probably hadn't looked at seriously for 10 years, you know, <laughs> and Facebook had all changed and and I still don't get Twitter. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's lessons to be learned there along the way. So those have been the hardest parts, I think. The writing was the easy bit. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting what you say, Matt. You probably equate it to our fellow here, Nathan Evans, who... Um, music exchange, so he recorded the, the Wellen and Sea Shanty which out as a TikTok, uh, and then the next thing you know, it's a number one all over Europe. You don't need to have a deal to to pull that together. So in the same way, you've created a book. Uh, what I think with you is um, you do hide your light under a bushel. So part of the reason for doing this interview was um, I, I've read the book. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I've squashed myself in the world of Upper Frog Marsh. Uh, I think we've done a great job on it. Uh, I, I, Nine to 14 year olds probably sit squarely in my uh, reading ability as, as well but uh, really enjoyed the tale um, found myself gripped through a, a chase scene uh, did find myself flicking over a few pages not as quickly as I read the Da Vinci Code because I didn't have the kids then but I, I got through the book very quickly uh, I'm looking forward to getting on to the second one um, so I just wish you all the luck in, uh, in getting people to read it because I think when they do they'll, they'll enjoy it and they'll, they'll tell their friends about it and we want to see you go viral as the, as the next stage Absolutely. I think it would make a good film. And I've already I'm already plotting the, the Thunderdog strips. You know, you can you can get them as part of a box set. What do you think? With a big red T in the front of them. It looks good. Uh who who are you playing? So I don't I don't think you'll pull off 14 or 13 year old Finn Silva. So have you got yourself <laughs> marked as a cameo in your own your own movie? I'm more likely to be the old guy. <laughs> the, old guy. <laughs> the old guy with the with the old fashioned tracksuit. Bookkeeper, but as a former accountant, Alan, that's probably oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's maybe it's a it's a role made for me. <laughs> Who uh, would you see yourself as? Me, I could probably pull off the distant trader. <laughs> so I could go for I could go for Mister Mister Silva. Uh, although I like football more than him, he's a cricket fan. Uh, so that that would I'd struggle with that part to to kid on. I didn't like the game. I could see he's one of the bad guys. And I the think he's probably. Guy. You've probably got that hidden streak in you somewhere along the way. <laughs> Get yourself a hooded top. 
and chase chase people along the street to do ill will to them. I think that's I think that's right up your street. <laughs> and Alan, that's been I've really enjoyed talking about this with you. As I say, we wish you all the luck. Um, and yeah, uh, hopefully the, the, the guys listening to this as a podcast will buy it and support off you. Um, but look forward to to seeing it in a, a Watersons near me. Yes, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Thanks again, Colin. This is an excerpt from the team from Windmill Lane, which is the first in the Finn Silver series, and it's from Chapter 3, Beaufort's Thunderdogs. If you had told Finn Silver a month ago he would be sitting inside a windmill in a thunderstorm with 14 other boys discussing the very specific rules of football nicknames, he would probably have laughed and said you were going a bit loopy. But here he was in the small circular room of the old blue and white striped windmill at the end of the lane doing exactly that. It was muggy, the rain was clattering down on the slate roof outside and aside from the half a dozen or so glowing candles scattered around the room, the only light came from two small square windows in the wall high above the door. Sitting in a circle on old boxes or colourful deck chairs with their backs to the wall, Jumping at the sound of each roll of thunder, the boys looked more like a strange ghost storytelling club than a brand new football team. It had been pointed out that, other than Josh and Finn, no one really knew each other. After a quick trip around the room where each boy said their full name out loud and felt mightily daft doing it, it also became clear that no one was very good at remembering names. Scotty Plunkett even forgot his own when it was his turn to introduce himself. And so the conversation turned to nicknames, whereby it was agreed that if everyone actually had one, it would probably make things altogether easier. What do you mean there are rules about nicknames? Josh sounded confused. Exactly what I say, Sai Kana replied, sounding highly knowledgeable in such matters. There are rules. So, what are these rules then? Josh pressed. Easy. In fact, there are really only two, Sai explained. The whole room was listening intently. The main one is known as the YOS, the YOS rule. Now, the YOS rule states that the nickname in question must end in either a Y, an O, or an S. The boys looked at him as if he had horns. Look, take a random guy in a football team. He must be in a football team, incidentally. These rules don't apply to the real world at all. The random guy's name is Ronnie Wood, okay? So, according to the Yoss rule, his nickname is pretty much going to be Woody, Woodo, or Woods. Get it? Another player, Joe Higgins. His name's a bit longer, but it still works. He'd be Higgy, Higgo, or Higgs. Where does this fit in then? asked Jordan Friend, scratching a well-freckled nose. My cousin Jeremy plays for a team, and they call him Santa. Why do they call him that? asked Sai. Because he only turns up once a year, Jordan replied simply. Sai did his best not to laugh. Well, there's the second rule right there, he managed. You can use any other name only if there are no obvious Y's, O's or S's available. Or, if the other name is so funny that it's better than using the Yoss rule. Now, if you have a funny name that also ends in Y, O or S, well, I guess you've struck gold there. 
And these are official football rules then, gasped a wide-eyed Todd House Martin. I'm pretty sure this is all written down somewhere, Si replied. Now, I bet we can go all the way round the room and get footballers' nicknames for us all. The boys all grinned and edged forward in their seats. Right, starting with you, Si suddenly pointed at Harry Flag the goalie. Flaggy, shouted someone, and everyone laughed. Maybe, teased Si, but come on, everyone saw the way this guy can jump. The boys all nodded. So, I suggest Pogo, Si grinned. Yes, cried Josh, it's an O, and it's better than using his name. Indeed, agreed Si. Sitting beside Harry was Ryan Hopper. Hoppy, hoppo or hops, Si shouted. Hoppy, the group all shouted back and the decision was made. Next up was James Bond. Any thoughts? Si asked the room. Strangely, the room was silent. Come on, guys, a great name. This one is easy, Si pressed. James Bond, 007? I'm thinking dubs. Ha! Excellent, shouted Finn, enjoying himself thoroughly. Todd House Martin. Wendy House, yelled someone, and the laughter continued. Todd House Martin looked a bit miffed. Just Wendy, perhaps. That makes it a why, doesn't it? Si suggested, and everyone agreed. Sorry, Todd, that's the thing about nicknames. You don't get to choose them yourself, and they're not always the most complimentary. Todd shrugged, but the makings of a smile started to leak onto his face. Moving on to Lucas here. Lucas clayed invisibly stiffened. The room went quiet again, but you could almost hear the boys' brains chugging around mechanically, trying to come up with something appropriate. Elsie? Suggested a small voice. Everyone turned and looked at Ryan Hopper, who immediately went bright red. Eh? Asked Lucas Clayden himself. Well, replied Hoppy, who now looked decidedly uncomfortable. Your name is Lucas Clayden. Your initials are L.C. So, Elsie. The idea hung in the air for about three seconds before the place exploded. Lucas sat with his face like thunder whilst the laughter died down and Hoppy was congratulated roundly. Next, Miko Przbizuski. Did I get that right? Not so bad, Miko smiled. But my first name, it is Mikolaj. Shall we stick with Miko then? Pitched Sai. Everyone, including Miko, nodded in relief. By the time they had completed the circle, Jordan Friend was Friendo, Sai himself was Cano, Scotty Plunkett was Plunks, Martin Heathley was Snakes on account of his adorable pets. Simon Wigman became Simples when the boys discovered his dad made pies and Georgie Summer became gorgeous when he foolishly fixed his hair in front of everyone just as they were straining to find a decent nickname for him. Josh seemed a bit disappointed when all they could come up with was clearly but as Sai pointed out he already had an unusual name with a Y at the end so that was fine. Enzo Dangerfield kept Enzo for similar reasons which left only Finn to be considered. Come on guys! urged Sai, there must be something we can do with Finn Silver. Boss, Chief and Gaffer were all suggested, but no one could come up with anything remotely funny or memorable. Just as it looked like the team manager was going to be Finny, Finno or Finns, Simon Wigman sat bolt upright and shouted, Aha! All eyes fell on simples. Well, last term we did Treasure Island in English, 
Long John Silver, cried someone before he could finish. So, I was thinking, LJ, what about that? Simon pressed, looking slightly annoyed that someone had beaten him to the punchline. Brilliant, Simples, Si applauded. Just brilliant. You saved us at the 11th hour. Todd Housemartin, a.k.a. Wendy, looked at his watch, then looked back at Si, confused. Finn had enjoyed the fun start to the first meeting and secretly was quite pleased with his new nickname. He looked at his teammates talking and laughing with each other. They seemed a good bunch and he was glad he'd brought them all together. But there was something else nagging him, something he couldn't put his finger on, something beyond the thunder outside that was unsettling and not quite right. Maybe things were going too well and he always got a bit suspicious when that happened. Maybe, all things considered, Starting a football team was just a really difficult thing for a 13-year-old boy to do. But despite the humid, sweaty heat of the circular room in the windmill, Finn shivered, hugged himself and felt distinctly uneasy.